Today's Market Foolery brought to you by NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform. Download their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits Today, at netsuite.com. It's Monday, November 11th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, Jason Moser. Happy Veterans Day. Yes, happy Veterans Day indeed. Thank you to all the veterans out there for everything they've done and continue to do. We are going to dip into the full mailbag. We have a pair of Apple stories. I know which one I find more interesting, but you could, you know, we'll let the uh, you decide and uh, the listeners can decide which one they find more interesting. We're going to start though with uh, as I mentioned here in the US it's Veterans Day in China. November 11th is Singles Day. And for those unfamiliar, Singles Day is the single biggest shopping day, online shopping day in the world. Puts Black Friday and Cyber Monday to shame. $38 billion in sales. That was the latest total I saw for Alibaba. That's a lot. <laughs> it really, by the way, as much as anything, and I don't own shares of Alibaba, but on Motley Fool Money last Friday, Emily Flippin mentioned Alibaba and Singles Day coming up. As much as anything, it is this number that Gets me thinking about: Do I need to own shares of Alibaba? <laughs> Just a couple of shares, because I feel like I've got the e-commerce box checked in my portfolio with Amazon, which I've owned for a long time. But that is just such a gaudy number. Well, I'm glad you made that comment because I think we will get to that question in a minute. I mean, before we do, I really just want to go back to your pair of Apple stories. I mean, that was probably no pun intended, but well played. Pears, apples. I mean, you know, well done. I wasn't trying starting to do that. the show like Matt Greer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, with Alibaba. I mean, yes, big big numbers. Of course, not surprising at all. I mean, we you you know that this uh, Singles Day every year is going to be a, just a big driver, and it's a big headline, very similar to uh, Amazon's Prime Day, and and they should. Tout it. They should get as much of that out there as they can because the business really is based on pumping a lot of of money through that network. Uh, And you know, when you look at Alibaba as an investment, I mean, it's been a bumpy ride. It's been a bit of a bumpy ride, at least since hitting the public markets in late 2014. But up to this point, I mean, the stock has performed pretty well. I mean, investors who've been able to hang in there uh, through through the the good times and the bad are feeling better about that now. I mean, I think if you're looking for a sign that either the Chinese or the U.S. economies are obviously slowing, I mean, this is not it. I mean, it sure does seem like both both economies are, are still humming along nicely. Um, to your question, why? Don't we invest in Alibaba? I mean, it's not—it's not a recommend. I don't think it's a recommendation in any services here in the Motley Fool. It could be, um, if it is, it's under the radar with some, but it's just not one that's that's garnered a lot of coverage. And, and I mean, a lot of it is we talk a lot about the geopolitical risks that are pretty obvious with a company like this today. Uh, but but when you actually dig into the company itself, I mean, it is an extremely complex ownership structure, um, and therefore a complex management structure. So it makes it difficult to really connect the dots there. In many in many cases, uh, we've seen a lot of news here recently. Uh, talk of a secondary listing in Hong Kong, and a few different reasons why that might be happening. I mean, money obviously is always good, and companies like to take that money and, and try to grow the business and. 
This is similar to Amazon in a lot of ways. I mean, it's an e-commerce play with a cloud business and a, a very robust media presence and entertainment uh, presence as well. So, a lot of different ways uh, for the business to to grow. Uh, but but I think that secondary listing could also that that Hong Kong listing could open avenues if for some reason you know the, the, the Trump administration decides they want to make life more difficult uh, for for companies like Alibaba, just Chinese related uh, companies that are listed here domestically. Uh, but but I mean, when you look at the business itself, I mean, some of the numbers they chalk up are just phenomenal. I mean, 785 million monthly active users, and that's mobile. I mean, those are mobile MAUs. Growing revenue at forty percent rates, like I was saying, they have a tremendous and growing cloud business to support that e-commerce business and a big media and entertainment-rich presence as well. So you could ask yourself that if you're looking for China exposure, I mean, there's an argument to be made for just investing in Alibaba and calling it a day, right? You could feel like you're probably getting a pretty good cross-section of the Chinese economy just through that one vehicle there. You mentioned the. Uh sort of the spending numbers. And it's interesting, when you look at the macroeconomic in China, the trade war, consumer spending numbers, you would absolutely be forgiven for thinking that the sales numbers that Alibaba was going to rack up today wouldn't be $38 billion. This is roughly 25% higher than a year ago. Um, so it's um, and I have no insight into sort of how they're promoting this, uh, you know, if this is if this is something that's just no, I don't care what's happening with the environment. I'm spending money on Singles Day, um, but it's uh, again, it's it really can't help but get your attention when you see a number like that. Yeah, and, and I mean to your point, there there is a lot that we don't know and how. I mean, there, there's that cultural black hole. I mean, we just don't have access and understanding like we do with a company like Amazon. And so I mean, you can be forgiven if you don't if you don't understand exactly how they are um, pushing these types of events and how meaningful they can be uh, to businesses like these. But I mean, it is it is a very impressive business. And I mean, you get you need to look at the bigger picture. I mean, as it builds out a business that does more things. I mean, remember Jack Ma who still has a a noteworthy ownership in the company. I mean, the strategy has been from the very beginning to help make China more of an importer as opposed to just being what we've traditionally seen it as an exporter, right? I mean, we see China exporting all of its goods all over the world, but they really want to bring more goods in from places like the United States, from places like Brazil and Russia and wherever uh, to make China a, a more uh, importing. Uh, type economy, and, and so when you do that, uh, you can really get consumers fired up. And and to be sure, I mean, there was uh, plenty of of U.S. goods that were flowing through that Alibaba network uh, for Singles Day, and and so again, it goes back to this idea that hey, maybe we're having a little bit of a, of a tough time coming to an agreement on a, on a trade uh, on a on a. Path forward in regard to trade, but both economies on their own still seem to be doing okay. The New York Department of Financial Services would like to have a word with Apple and Goldman Sachs regarding the way that credit limits are being set for the Apple credit card that Apple and Goldman Sachs have teamed up for. This got some attention over the weekend because Steve Wozniak. Co-founder of Apple, always <laughs> worth remembering, uh, Wozniak and his wife share bank accounts, and he was tweeting about the fact that uh, the algorithm was such that somehow he got a credit limit ten times higher than his wife's. 
Yeah. You know, when the co-founder of Apple comes forward and says, you might want to look at this, then, uh, yeah, you might want to look at that. Yeah. And, I mean, this this does feel like something that you would expect from Goldman Sachs. <laughs> Maybe uh, more of a bungle from Apple. Um, but, I mean, it's obviously, it's much more complex than just, than just that. Um, I, I do feel like this news, to me, I mean, this is interesting from the perspective of the risks the tech brings to the finance space, and you know, I, I do. You think I do, the algorithm might need a little tweaking? Perhaps. <laughs> I mean, let's you know, let's at least have the conversation, right? I mean, I, I, we often, we often utter that phrase "black box," right? In, in, you know, we're talking about not being able to fully understand a business and what it does. In, in, I mean, I remember specifically we talked about Goldman Sachs back in the financial crisis of this is a black box of a business. You don't know what in the world's going on underneath that hood. Uh, and that probably still rings true for the most part today. But we are living in an age where transparency and democratization of finance is becoming paramount. I mean, that is what a lot of these newer businesses are really basing their MOs on. It's it's trying to make finance more accessible, more transparent. And and so when you have something like this that happens, I mean, it's understandable that it happened, but it's not acceptable for it to continue. I mean, I don't specifically know what happened other than other than what we're seeing Wozniak and others say that, you know, they there was a, a discrepancy in how Credit limits were given to, to a male versus a female. I, I don't know their family situation. I don't know how everything is accounted for financially. But, but the bottom line is, you and I know, and probably everybody that has to deal with our financial system and in, in getting credit, it is a black box. It's hard to understand exactly what goes into making those decisions. And we want to at least make sure those decisions are being made fairly and taking all of the relevant information into account. And, and it doesn't seem like that's happening right now. So there is, I think there's a there's a modicum of brand risk to Apple here, but I don't think much because I think Tim Cook could be very quick to get out there and say, "Whoa, we want to fix whatever's going wrong here." Again, I kind of, I mean, I'm not not trying to be a a naysayer here, but you kind of expect this stuff from a company like Goldman, right? They they are the black box. I mean, when you look up black box, you probably see Goldman Sachs right next to it. So, you know. What it's, do you do? No, you're right. It's it, it's not shocking. And I did to your point about Tim Cook. I think this is uh, this is an interesting story. It's a fun story. I think it's a story that gets remedied pretty quickly. Yeah. Unlike our next story with Apple. Well, real quick, one more thing okay. just before we move on. You know what I do find interesting in reading through all of this stuff about the Apple Card and Goldman Sachs. I mean, it's really it's, it's Apple and it's Goldman Sachs. You know who you just don't see anything about in here is Mastercard, and Mastercard is the is the, is the card issuer here. And, and so my point is, it really is nice to see. I mean, Mastercard's able to sit back here and just not get hammered on this at all. So it's not too bad being the toll booth, is it, Chris? It is not bad being the toll booth. Those <laughs> yeah. are good businesses. Uh, if you saw uh, if you saw reports uh, last month that Apple is planning to launch an augmented reality headset in 2020. I'm sorry to say we have some bad news. Uh, the company has informed as many as a thousand employees that the AR headset is going to be launched in 2022, and the Apple Smart Glasses are now reportedly coming the following year in 2023. And similar to the Disney Plus video streaming service, which launches tomorrow, originally supposed to launch a year and a half ago, if not further back in time. If we get to 2022 and this headset's fantastic, then it'll be worth the wait. And the same for the glasses. 
But I'm not suggesting there is brand risk here, but I'm wondering if analysts like you need to go back and factor this into your projections for Apple over the next couple of years, because I'm sure there were at least some analysts on Wall Street who, when those reports came out last month, started uh, maybe not putting the, uh, the numbers in ink, but maybe started to pencil in potential revenue for a new business line coming in the fall of 2020. So this goes back to June of this year for me when we actually opened up our AR service here, augmented re- augmented reality service, and, and Apple is is a core part of that service. And I, so I would say, on the whole, while while you look at these numbers and you think oh, they get 2022 and 2023, it sounds like it's further out than maybe we were hoping. The flip side is that really what this announcement does is it gives us a lot more certainty that it's actually happening because leading up to this point, a lot of this really has been speculation and we've we've had to connect the dots on certain patent filings or certain things that we're doing with software or just rumors we were getting from analysts who uh, you know have inside connections that can get better information. It, it, you know, we always knew there was something coming in regard to augmented reality on the hardware side. It was just not understanding fully what it was. So, I mean, I look at this news today and actually take it as a positive. And number one, we know that they really are pursuing this. And number two, this is the strategy that they're going to pursue. And they're going to come out with something initially that's going to be on par with your Microsoft HoloLens or your Oculus or maybe a Magic Leap is a good comparable there. Um, We are in the really early stages of augmented reality and virtual reality and mixed reality and how those are going to be affecting our lives going forward. And and so, I I think that for me with Apple, really what they've been doing to date thus far with um, their AR kit, right? I mean, they have the software really already built and and working, and and so the hardware to me was always somewhat secondary, and and I feel like. They've done such a good job of building this AR kit, and they've gotten to version three now. It's the biggest augmented reality developers platform in the world, and they're learning from this AR kit all of the different things that people are building and want to build with with augmented reality, with mixed reality technology. And I think that helped steer their aspirations on the hardware side somewhat. And and I think they look at this and they say, you know what, the world over the next five years isn't going to change dramatically on the on this mixed reality front. Because it is so early on, and we're still learning so much about the potential, what it can do, and what it can't do today. And so I think they're letting a lot of what's been developed on the software side help guide them on what they want to develop on the hardware side. And Apple's always been, they've they've always been not really the first to the market with this new technology, but they just take the developing trends and they try to make it their own, make it better, make it Apple. And so I suspect we'll see the same thing happen here with this hardware as it slowly rolls out. Well, and the phrase, make it better, should resonate with anyone who has watched this company over the last 15, 20 years, the way that we've seen improvements to the iPhone um, back in the day, the improvements to the iPod, the Apple Watch more recently. Yep. You know, the first version of the Apple Watch didn't really blow people away. And uh, you get to the latest version, and that's where it starts to move the needle, not just in terms of what the watch can do, but in terms of what it actually means for revenue, a new business line, and moving the stock. Yeah, and a lot of this comes from this general feeling. I mean, it's it's not just something inside these walls here, but 
the world, the investing world, the tech world is looking for that next major computing platform, right? I mean, this the smartphone was such a lightning in a bottle moment, and it's changed the world in so many different ways. And a lot of these companies, a lot of people are looking for that next smartphone moment. And and I think there are some feelings out there that maybe mixed reality is it in some capacity. And it, and it may be, but I, th- I think it's important to keep our expectations tempered. I mean, this is, again, very early stages of, of understanding what this technology can do. And, and to, to be looking forward with that much enthusiasm is, is probably a little much. I mean, keep your expectations tempered. Understand they're going to iterate. They're not the only ones in this market. As I mentioned, you've got Microsoft. You've got, I mean, Alphabet has uh, their their uh, second coming of Google Glass, which is Google Lens. Uh, you've got Oculus. You've got Magic Leap. You've got a lot of other companies that are building um, hardware for mixed reality, augmented reality on the Manufacturing and industrial side as well, so something that is just completely out of the out, off the consumer radar, but but really something that that folks in manufacturing and industrials um, are a bit more familiar with. I, I think it's just it's important to keep all all of those expectations in check. Quick shout out to Netsuite. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business, and the problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers is the patchwork quilt of business systems, one for sales, one for inventory, one for accounting. It's inefficient, it takes too much time, too many resources, and it hurts the bottom line. And that's where NetSuite by Oracle comes into play. It's the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. It gives you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, unneeded headaches, etc by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly, right from your desktop or phone. That is why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite's offering you valuable insights with a free guide. It's called uh, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. You can find it at netsuite.com. That's netsuite.com. Download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. It's free. What do you got to lose? Go to netsuite.com. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Clive Cameron in London, who writes, Many well-known investors are saying that sometime soon a decline will occur. If you believe this to be true, can you talk about some strategies for securing your investments from this decline, as well as options to prepare to buy in when this occurs? Thank you for all the time you spend sharing some great insights. Uh, thank you, Clive. Thanks for listening, and thanks for the question. Uh, I believe this to be true. It's coming sometime. At some point. I just don't know when. Nor do I. Nor do I. And so that's how we'll start here. And by the way, nor does anybody. (laughs) Nobody knows. Anybody can flip a coin and and get heads right at some point or another. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. So I'll start with what I don't think is the solution. And I don't think the solution is to go ahead and sell everything in an attempt to lock up your gains and time the market. I mean, there are myriad reasons why Pour my money that's into gold? Well, it's I mean, a great hedge. That's what I keep hearing. I'm not telling you what to do, Chris, but I'm I'm asking you, please don't do that. Um, I mean, it, we we talk about market timing and how difficult it is and why you you uh, shouldn't do it. I mean, whether it is taxes, whether it's timing the market, whether it's missed opportunities, you 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 need to stay invested. I mean, there's plenty of research that shows that if you're just missing a handful of the better days in the market, you're missing out on the majority of the gains. And so, in order to participate, you have to be in whole hog. Um, now, with that said, who knows when you know this this pullback is going to occur? I mean, I agree with you. There will be a downturn. Something will happen. Uh, 
But I can also tell you, and I'm going here, I'm getting ready to lock up 10 years here at The Fool, and I feel like for a good eight of them, yeah, probably for a good eight of them, we've been talking about this big pullback, this imminent pullback that's just a matter of time. When that next shoe drops, in uh, so over the last five years, I mean, we've been we've been really talking about this, and I mean, the S and P five hundred is is up something like fifty percent over the last five years. So clearly, we could sit here and talk about it all day long, and we feel like it's going to happen, but we don't know when it's going to happen. And so, if you were operating um, on on that. Premise over the last five years, and you you decided to go ahead and, and pull out or or get a little bit more conservative. You missed out on some some really really good days um, and some really good gains. So we then say, okay, well, if if the solution is to not pull everything out of the market and and, and get overprotective, then then really we're talking about making sure we stay invested. So how do we protect ourselves while we're invested? Um, and I think that's. One answer to the question right there is remaining invested. I feel like if you you need to stay invested in order to to make sure that you are able to participate in the long term gains and protect yourself from missed opportunities. But there are ways to protect yourself from downturns. One of the easiest ways, and, and we talk about it a lot, but you cannot overstate it, is diversification. Making sure that you have a portfolio that is diversified across a number of different types of companies and markets. Uh, you know, if if it's something where you feel like you want to have gold in your portfolio, that's fine. I mean, plenty of people utilize real estate as well. Uh, there are a lot of different ways to invest, but ultimately, have your portfolio diversified in such a way that you're not overly exposed to any one given market. Um, I, I like always having cash personally. I mean, I know some people would would rather find a return on that cash, feeling like that cash just isn't returning anything. My philosophy has always been having that cash. The liquidity, the availability, is the return because that gives you the ability to immediately pull the trigger if you see an opportunity. How how much cash is up to the individual? I mean, anywhere from five to ten percent. Can can make a lot of sense there. If you feel like the market is is over is overvalued and you want to up that cash balance up to fifteen, maybe twenty percent, that's your call. Again, I mean, we've seen plenty of times where we feel like a sell off is going to come, and it hasn't really come yet. Um, and then when we when we talk about exposure to recession resistant. Stocks, right? We did a YouTube live stream not all that long ago, a few weeks back, where we talked about this very subject. And um, you know, I, I like looking at companies that serve markets that are fairly necessary. You know, so look at companies like insurance companies. I mean, the the question there mentioned Berkshire Hathaway and a lot of Berkshire Hathaway's insurance. Another company that performed very well during the financial crisis was Travelers Insurance. Um, and another company that performed very well during the recession that is not an insurer, but I think you could relate to its necessity is is at the time uh, was Alphabet or Google. Um, you can you can sit there and, and criticize it for being a tech company, perhaps, but when you think about what it really does at its core, I mean, it's an information company, and everybody needs that information on a daily basis. And um, as consumers, we not we you know we may not pay Google or Alphabet directly. So I mean, it's an ad supported business, but those ads are supported by traffic numbers that, through thick and thin, are really impressive. And I feel pretty comfortable making this prediction, uh, and it's not particularly. Uh... You know, others will have made this prediction, which is that when the next recession comes, when the next big market sell-off comes, there are going to be great companies 
that are sold off to a ridiculous degree. Oh yeah. They're you know, and just to go back to where we started this episode with Alibaba, there's a price at which Alibaba gets sold off that you just sort of look at and go, "Well, wait a minute. If yeah. you <laughs> if you're going to cut the biggest e-commerce player in China, to that degree, then yeah, I'm going to buy a couple shares of that. Keeping in mind everything we've already talked about in terms of the lack of transparency, that sort of thing, there will be plenty of companies, rock solid businesses that just get sold off. You're like, well, that's stupid. Yeah, yeah. There is a price. <laughs> There's a price at which most everything starts to make sense. Um, and one final point I would note is that given we're coming up here, it's almost the middle of November, it's just about the end of the year, I think this is a good exercise for every investor to do. I'm in the middle of doing it myself. Go through your portfolio and take a look at some of those companies in there that you feel like, hey, you know what, maybe it's time to cut this thing loose. Maybe it's not working out. Or maybe you know, I've got gains there, but now I'm not really feeling as good about the company going forward as I did. I've definitely got a couple of those companies on my radar, and I'll be you know very, very forthright and letting people know which ones I do sell. But I'm going through and giving my portfolio a little end-of-the-year audit with the idea that I'm going to sell at least a couple of things to free up some money to Either either hang on to, or maybe see if I can't plow some of that uh, money into some some companies that are already doing really well for me. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Forward. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.